It's time for a WeChat workout. WeChat. Go, go to the Cliff Central account. Tap connect. Then message to show. On radio. On radio. More of the good stuff. CliffCentral.com. Well, good morning. Um, my name is Dr. Cindy Siofan-Sale. I am back. Last week I was in Harare, Zimbabwe. I had a great time there. And Dr. Michelle Morehouse um, did the show for me. So I hear it was a very great show. Um, Duncan, I hope you missed me. We missed you dearly, Doctor. <laughs> no, I, ha- yeah, I heard it was a very great show. So this morning I'm back and um, I have Dr. Lilo Honolo um, Majaki Mohoba in studio. And I went to varsity with her. So... What people don't know about medicine is that after you finish your degree, okay, so we all do internship and we all do community service. So this is us paying back um, time to the um, to the Department of Health and also ensuring that communities get health care. And then from there, you can you can pretty much branch out and do a lot of things. So I know that a lot of us, um, a lot of um, doctors become specialists. Okay, so specializing is is the number one thing that people want to do. And then a lot of people become GPs, and I think I still think GPs are the most important people in the system. And then other people then go on and do other things like research and public health. So um, Dr. Lichokonolo is one of those doctors that has gone the public health route. Mm. And so she's here to tell us what public health is all about. She's currently studying at the University of Pretoria. And also to discuss um, you know, some of the public health issues that are affecting um, South Africa right now. And one of the biggest ones is non-communicable diseases, which is diseases of lifestyle. So obesity, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure. And this is something that's very close to my heart because I've said to you guys a lot before that I'm overweight. So I'm very open about my weight issues. I've always been body positive, but it's only now that I'm beginning to realize that, yes, I can be a chubby, happy girl, but am I a healthy girl? And this is why I've embarked on this weight loss program. So thank you so much for being here. I know you drove from Pretoria. <laughs> it's a pleasure, Cindy. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, medical school. Okay. How was medical school for you? You know, medical school turned out to be something that um, wasn't really what I was anticipating yeah. uh, when I was thinking about being a GP and studying medicine. It was much harder than what I thought and also so emotionally taxing mm-hmm. for some strange reason. Um, you know, I came straight from a trick at the age of uh, 17, got okay. into medical school. Um, and I just thought it would be a breeze. I thought it would be just an extension having of school. Aced, oh, having aced matric and done well and enjoyed matric and Yeah, so I would have said, I wouldn't say having aced. I'd say <laughs> having worked my butt off. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not one of those very brainy people, but I worked very hard yeah. um, to get what I want. Uh, and when I got into medical school, it was taxing. It was, of course, nice to meet the people that are now lifelong friends, um, like yourself, mm. but um, it was very strenuous. Mm. Though, of course, I learned a lot of skills in the process. Yeah. And and so your idea from that very onset was to always become a, a general practitioner. You you never wanted to specialize. You know, Cindy, you know I have a sister with a disability. Yes. And so medicine was something I wanted to do, funny enough, when I was a child, uh, when I was about five years old, because I wanted to treat Bunsy's uh, problems, um, mm. uh, medical problems. So I was always like, oh, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a doctor, I want to fix my sister's legs, you know. Mm. And that's how I got into it, basically. It was something that I wanted to do from an early stage, but it was something because I, I just saw my sister and I thought, I want to fix my sister's legs. Uh, and yeah, I grew, you know, I fell in love with it. Um, and it's just a dream that I've had since I was five years old. And yeah. one thing, I mean, the one thing that I appreciate about you, um, is the fact that your sister has lived, a, she lives a very full life. I mean, I don't ever recall you, um, thinking that, oh, she can't do this, she can't do that. Whatever she wants to do, she does. Well, pap. <laughs> You know, and that's great. That's great because a lot of people living with disabilities don't have the opportunity to just do what they want to do. And I mean, you bring your sister out, you bring her to functions, you, Mm. you just, she just lives 
a life, mm-hmm. a normal full life. And I think we can thank my mom for that. Um, yeah. You know, it's good that she comes from a social work background. Mm. Something that I think uh, we're missing now in South Africa. People, um, you know, used to say that social workers are no longer important. Mm. But her background, I think it really helped all of us as a system, as a family. Um, obviously, she got a lot of rehabilitation. I mean, that's that's all disability is all about. It's what the problem is and how to manage it. Yeah. You know, and my sister then went to proper schools. She wasn't in a, a school strictly for disability, as most people would like to classify. Mm. Of course, uh, uh, it wasn't easy. We had to go through a lot of challenges and hurdles, uh, you know, even with some of the uh, prejudices that doctor, that uh, the teachers would have, yes. you know. But after some time, Banzi, as you've correctly said, I mean, she's grown up to be a woman of her own, mm. you know, and she even has a baby. So, yeah. No, no, she's lived a very full life. <laughs> yeah. And in your attraction to public health, I mean, yeah. I know that for a while you did private practice in Arcadia. Yes. I used to refer patients to you when I got mm-hmm. the chance. And um, and then you moved away from that. What What informed that decision? You know, um, when you are in a, a private practice, you get to see one-on-one patients. Yeah. And I absolutely love that. Uh, but beyond that, you realize that there's more that needs to be done out there. And, mm. you know, I've always liked community work. Yes. Uh, and that's what public health is all about. Public health goes beyond just policy making, uh, policy creating, um, you know, things that are more WHO, United Nations point of view. You can actually tweak it for yourself. What I like is the health promotion bit of it. Um, you know, coming from a community where so many people still don't really understand the basics of health and still really relate health to something that is sorted out by a GP somewhere in the mm. distance. I'd like to change that. And that's why I got into public health itself. I love being everywhere. You know, I like putting my nose in everything. <laughs> <laughs> and public health accommodates that. Mm. Yeah. And, and, the, and the structure of the course itself. I mean, I know it's a, it's a master's in medicine yeah. and it's a four-year course. Yeah. So, and what year are you in now? I'm currently in my fourth year. This okay, is my so last final, year. Yeah. I'm doing my research and then next year I'll do my exams oh, with okay. the College of Medicine. Yeah. Oh, no, you've done well. And in terms of, yes. of what the course entails, what are they teaching you? I mean, you know I want to be Minister of Health. Yes. Right? That's an open yes. secret. Good luck. <laughs> Well, I always, I always thought you'd be my only competition for no, definitely not. <laughs> but is, is there image in public health something I need to do? Cause I mean, I think for me, the one thing that I have is passion mm-hmm. and, um, I wouldn't want to do a course that's going to kill my passion. Yeah. I think that's very important. I think the things that I, the, the courses that I'm planning on doing should be courses that are going to enhance what I already know, but not stifle me in any way. I don't want to be caged and then now I must speak like this and act like mm-hmm. this and, you know. Mm-hmm. So what does your course entail? Okay. Um, so, Cindy, so you know, obviously somebody who's doing, uh, the MED in public health, I would say absolutely you need to do it. Yeah. Um, but you know, everything you get into in life, you need to decide and dictate how you are going to tackle it as a person. Mm. Public health does not really change you as a person, but it changes your mindset and it helps you to look at things from such a broad perspective. With somebody as busy as you, obviously public health, um, in med is for people who want to be specialists. You get registered uh, with the college of medicine uh, and it's got other benefits as you would know from a medical point of view. But the other things like your master's in public health that you could also do on a part-time basis, um, it won't really classify you as a public health specialist mm-hmm. but you would certainly be a doctor with uh, an MPH mm. and I would say you should definitely go for that especially when you want to be Minister of Health mm. um, you know you need to be able to think so broadly you need to understand health systems in South Africa across the world we, you need to understand what has worked in the past uh, what hasn't worked from a health systems point of view uh, and that's what I love about public health mm. it shows you angles of a health care that you've never seen and that you don't think exist at all 
That's no. amazing. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I look at our health system, I mean, you and I are very passionate about primary health care. Mm. And I mean, after after internship, I left Pretoria to go and work in Soweto. Mm. And I remember the brokenness that I felt. I always say this, that working at Barra in 2006 broke me. It mm. broke me because I'd come from Pretoria where things worked really well and you get to Soweto and you're thinking, this is Soweto. This is this is the biggest you know, township in South Africa. And the system is so broken. I mean, mm. everything's in place to make it work, but there's so many hurdles to jump through. And um, from a, from a public health perspective, and and just and I'm, not, I'm glad you've mentioned health systems. What are the core tenets of a proper working health system? What what do you need to make a health system function effectively? Yeah, um, you know, funny enough, you don't really need that many um, components to yeah. actually have a functioning health system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think certainly what you need is good governance, and you need an extremely good management team. And I think that's why more and more we're seeing more people get into masters of public health and other things. You know, previously we thought that if you've got an MBA, it would be good enough. Yeah. But, you know, MBA, of course, is a great course, you know, it teaches you about business, etc. But you also need to have a background that will tell you about the health system and the health component itself. Secondly, what you would need, which is very like it was lacking throughout Africa, not just South Africa, it's mm. human resources. Mm. We know that our so doctors, HR is a big thing. HR is a big thing. I mean, here we've got two HR that could actually be resuscitating and stitching away and, you know, be here. Yeah. And we've got others who are at home because they've been so despondent and broken by the system itself. Um, we need to have a way of retaining our human resources in South Africa, mm. number one. And I think also we need to adjust our health systems to be pro the people that we have now. We've got more women. We've got more mothers in medicine. Mm. Uh, you know, can you really still have a health system that expects people to work 36 hours a day? Yeah. You know, is it really practical? Uh, because I know for one, when I was in government, I actually, before I left and went into public health, I would say things like, can I not just be given a shift where I can work from, you know, 8 o'clock until 12 o'clock or 8 until 2? Um, you know, I don't mind getting less money. I'd still be a doctor, but also be at home. So that's another thing that we need to look at, not only retaining our uh, human resources, but how do we tweak the environment to favor them as well? That is so important. I mean, I know that one of the main reasons why I left the Department of Health was because I wanted to have a child that's and there was no way I was going to do 36 hour no. calls. I mean, I was done and dusted no. with that, yeah. you know, and, and, and yes, you do make the offer to get less pay, work less mm. hours, but the Department of Health does not accommodate that. They don't want people to tweak the Absolutely. system like that. They want you in the system mm. and you work the full hours. Mm. And remember, by the time we finish mid-school, most of us are, what, 23, 25 plus? You want to quickly have your family, and you just cannot afford to now have this massive competition between wanting a family and also a career that demands so much. So that's another component. So that's the second component, Mm. governance, human resource. And then the third thing is um, ensuring that we've got, you know, adequate supplies of medicines Mm. and drugs. Uh, you know, we, you cannot have somebody who's hypertensive that gets into a clinic or into a hospital and only manages to get panada. Mm. So that's something that's a critical component that we need. And I saw something on Twitter this morning. Someone tweeted that the, um, the concerns around the uh, drug stockouts and shortages is that we're going to have more resistance in patients. And I mean, obviously we're speaking TB and HIV, mm. but when you speak about diabetes and hypertension, mm. high blood pressure, you're worried about the, um, the complications of not taking your medication and asthma and a whole lot of other chronic diseases. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and at the same time, we're trying to preach that people need to comply with their medication, uh, get health, you know, screens, get onto medication as soon as possible or prevent being on medication, but they, they don't have access to those drugs. So that's another component that we definitely need. Um, and then another component would be infrastructure. Oh, you, yeah. You need to that's have. That's always a biggie. Yeah. You need to have, um, hospitals that are well built, that are safe, mm. that are effective, you know, um, towards making sure that you can actually deliver the, the, um, 
service that you need to deliver. And obviously, another thing is the record system and the information system itself. Uh, Which is something that's been on the table for about mm-hmm. since 2008. I mean, I remember that mm-hmm. we were meant to get health cards. Yeah. So that, it should be like a credit card. It has all your information on it. And I think it's still, still something that's in the press or has it fallen away? Whatever happened to that whole idea? They're still currently busy with it. Yeah. Um, the, and I think now they're doing it in conjunction with, um, home affairs. Oh, okay. With yes. that whole, okay. With, with the, the home, home affairs cards. Absolutely. Um, but remember in health, uh, when we talk about information systems, there are lots of components. Mm. So the one component that you're talking about would be where you actually have a patient registered. It's going to be uniform throughout the country. And, um, it will also mitigate, um, you know, um, situations where people come and get drugs in such a hospital, then they leave and they go and get it somewhere oh, else. that whole hospital hopping Absolutely. and collecting of drugs. Yeah. Absolutely, which is also a massive waste, uh, you know, for the government as well. Mm. You know, when you have one person who will then collect for everybody else mm. uh, that is not registered. Uh, but then there's also another component which um, has to do with looking at our data. Mm. You know, how, what is the prevalence of TB? You know, how, how far are we going with HIV? How much obesity do we have? Diabetes? What are the trends and what do we do uh, to mitigate that or to treat them? Are we doing well? Are we feeling poorly? Uh, so that's more the data collection, health information mm. systems uh, that they're looking at. And, and it helps with complaining. planning as well. I think Absolutely. it helps with financial planning, you know, infrastructure planning, human resource planning. It helps with all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the one interesting thing for me, Milito um, Honola, is how we keep going to Cuba and to Brazil to look at their health systems mm-hmm. and import their ideas to to, to you know to, to South Africa, mm-hmm. and um, I mean I have nothing against the Cuban system. I mean, if anything, I, you know I, I love I love the fact that everything is is, is primary care um, based. That's that, that's the that's the strength of a functioning health system. But I worry that we import ideas that might not fit in. With, with our setting. I think South Africa is a very, very unique setting and each district is different. Each, each province is different. Each district is different. So, um, what do you think about that? I mean, I'm looking at the ideal clinic model and mm-hmm. so on. Um, have we tweaked it enough to fit into our setting? What works in Ekuruleni might not necessarily work in Swane and so on and so on. Yeah, I think your concern is echoed by many people, mm. uh, across South Africa and generally. Uh, but also remember South Africa has had a very complex health system. Yeah, from the very onset. From the very onset, yeah. you know, having... That's, that's fair. That's, yeah. that's true. I must be fair. Um, and so what we're doing right now is essentially uh, benchmarking, yeah. you know, looking at different places, looking at what has worked. And also remember, we are in the lower middle income country. Mm. You know, of course, you know, you situ- well, we, I think we, we categorize as um, the World Health Organization categorizes us as a low resource setting. Yeah. So all our health, all, all of the recommendations from them are, are centered around the fact that we're a low resource setting. So yeah, yes, we may have you know, Danfern and exactly. Mill Park and so on. Exactly. But ultimately, we are still a low resource setting. We absolutely are. Yeah. And when you look at how you can be efficient from a low resource setting, primary health care uh, is one big component where mm. you can be uh, effective, uh, where you can render service to a large scope of people. Mm. And that's where Cuba is excelling right now with their primary health care. Um, you know, they're very good in, in screening and managing patients effectively from a lower base. Remember, SA has really been more tertiary level care. So it's, it's hospitals, uh, it's, it's surgery. When we think healthcare, we think, you know, when am I getting operated? When am I getting x-rays, bloods taken, et cetera? And we're trying to shift to that. So essentially right now, South Africa's doing its research, it's studying, it's looking at what best would fit its uh, setting and will be tweaked. And another thing is I guess everything comes with time and practice um, and you know, you, one will look at how it's working, adjust it and adapt it 
uh, to a point where it actually makes sense for the country itself. Mm. Yeah. And I know that Sony is actually doing quite well. When I look, when I look at, when I look at the reports about the implementation, implementation of the national health insurance, Sony seems to be the area where a lot of the piloting happens and it seems to be going okay. So what's the difference between Sony, I mean, and, and everywhere else? Why, why are we seeing a few more successes there than in other areas? Yeah, I think obviously we'll see the successes more in that area because it's the spotlight. You know, it is mm. a pilot site. Um, you know, and also Tswane is currently being used as a place where things are being tried and tested, and once they work efficiently, then they'll spread throughout. Mm. Uh, so it's not. So really you guys are the guinea pigs. We are the for guinea a lot. Whether, whether it's the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and okay, I know your bus system is not up to scratch. Have they sorted it out yet? I mean, we've got Ria Vaya. What do you guys call it's yours? Getting Arizama. <laughs> yes. Has it, has it started yet? It has started. It's fabulous. Oh, it's finally. Beautiful. Cause those roadworks yeah. were a nightmare. nightmare. Yeah. Oh, okay. But I mean, from a, from a general perspective, yeah. China's doing well because I guess we also have a very young team in mm. the executive. Your mayor, you know, your our mayor is quite cool. Young. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's doing well in that sense. And from a health perspective, obviously it's being used as a pilot site, mm. uh, for the NHI itself. And yeah. speaking of the NHI, um, I mean, what do you think is the thing that's going to make NHI work? Because I have my ideas. And I think the first thing for me is our work ethic, the human mm-hmm. resources that we have on the ground. We need to change our work ethic. If that does not change, if the work ethic doesn't change and we still have high job security, we're going to have problems implementing it. Because my biggest gripe when I was working at, um, at, at Bada and just in, 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 in Joburg in general mm. was that you have people that have these jobs and you know that come the 15th, whether you do your job or not, you're still going to get paid. Absolutely. We need to change that, that, that thing. We need to do away with that. You need to know that if you don't pitch up for work mm-hmm. or you don't do the thing that you've been asked to do, there will be consequences to your actions. Mm. So, um, NHI for me hinges on those on those two things. Absolutely, it's that. But also at the same time, we need to look at what it is that's making people to feel demoralized. It works both ways. I absolutely agree okay. with you. Mm. So it's the component of people need to understand that health is a service, mm-hmm. and when people come to you, they don't come to you because they just want to irritate you, but they're actually there for a need, and it is a right. So we need to really get that in perspective. But secondly, we also need to make sure that when you want a doctor or a nurse to do a specific job, they need to be given the, the tools of productivity. They need to have the medication there. It needs to be safe. They cannot be raped on the way to the lab. Um, you know, they need to be protected. And they just need to be able to do the basic tools of trade in a healthcare system. So I think that's one thing that will make um, NHR work. And another thing as well is, you know, we need to move away from looking selfishly as um, healthcare being the source of, um, you know, money. Yeah. Um, I think there's a big thing right now where a lot of, especially in the private sector, yeah. uh, you know, they're a bit skeptical, um, you know, and I think when we really look at it for what it really is, it boils down to the rents and cents. You yeah. know? Unfortunately, we really need to look at having a way of catering for the 80% of South African citizens who do not have access to healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, I think people don't understand. If you've got a medical aid, you just don't understand that there are people out there who have to choose between do I bre- buy bread today or do I get into a taxi to go to the clinic? Mm. And, and that cannot work. You know? Well, look, even if you have medical aid, I mean, I have medical aid. I'm on the bottom of the range mm. um, um, plan, but it's costing me an arm and a leg. It costs. It's, it's, it's the, 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 Cost is mm. frightful, mm. you know. And I mean, I don't get sick often. My kids have me. I, I, I treat my own family except my husband because he's a bit, you know. <laughs> so I, I don't treat my husband. But I look at how much I pay every month. I think I'm paying about three thousand rand, and it just it's, it's bleeding out of my wallet. Absolutely. 
You know, it's ridiculous, Cindy. And another thing is that with medical aid, the problem is that there's certain things they don't cover. Mm. So, for example, you have a lot of people who walk around with cavities and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, dental problems because the medical aid can't cover that, or mm. does they aren't enough. There's not enough um, funding in the medical aid itself. You know, so and that just has to change. You know, everywhere around the world, we're now moving towards a focus of universal healthcare coverage. Mm. You know, and that is to make and sure, that a, and, and that's a basic human it's right. A basic human that's right. A basic human right. Cindy, just like education. It's yeah. a basic human right. And I think once the public starts understanding why NHI needs to take place, you know, and how we can all contribute towards making sure that it works effectively. So when you are somebody who works, you need to then help by putting in some money through taxes into the pool, you know, the, the financing of it itself, um, you know, and also the fact that you can use government hospitals. It's, it's, it's frightening for me that every time I tell people, oh, just quickly go then to, to Tony District or Steve Beagle mm. if you feel this, and they're like, no, I can never go there, you mm. know. But it's the, it's the perception that we have purely because of the private and public two-tier system that we've had that needs to change right now. So it's, it's just, it's from the public's perspective and also, like you said, from the human rights perspective mm. and also from the people who are governing, making sure that there's enough tools to mm. be able to do the duty. Yeah. yeah, and um, I see you've been tweeting a lot. I mean, I I love that. <laughs> I think I hopped onto the Twitter bandwagon in 2011, and I realized that Twitter is such a fantastic tool for sharing healthcare-related um, knowledge. And I'm very happy to see that you're tweeting about it. And um, that's fantastic. And what has the response been like? You know, it's been good. I'm still learning Twitter. <laughs> you know, even with Facebook, it took me forever to get out to it. So I'm still learning that. Um, but it's really, it's, it's, it's humbling to see that what you would just consider basic knowledge, um, is something that other people really thirst for, mm. you know, out there. And you see when you don't really tweet as much, people say, but you're not saying anything, exactly. you know, and the questions uh, that people ask. Um, and it's really nice to know that you're contributing towards that because I think that's the whole point of what we do is just to enlighten people. It's so you know? important. It's so important. Yeah, and we say that even if we cannot treat, obviously, um, you know, through social media, but just to make sure people understand basic things, it can really make such a huge difference uh, to the left. And coincidentally, that is actually a big component of primary health care. Mm. You know, most people don't really understand what social um, media does in terms of enlightening people because we're still so into um, patients must come to the doctor and, and get operations. And, and very traditional ways of very doing traditional, stuff. Yeah. Very traditional. And we need to think out of the box. No, definitely. Because we are age, evolving. Yeah, the digital Absolutely. era has taken over so much. And Absolutely. And that's, where, and that's where tweeting comes in and Facebooking and so on. It really, really makes yeah. a difference. And we must thank you as well, Cindy. I think people like yourselves as well have been really instrumental in terms of changing how medicine uh, is, is actually taught out there, you know, and changing how we actually get to uh, take uh, information down to the mm. to the general population. You no, know, I remember I mean, so. at the beginning when I first started, um, I, I bumped into a GP at a conference mm. and he said to me, I see you're trying to take our clients away. And I no. said to him, actually, I'm not. I'm actually yeah. helping you because Absolutely. by the time your clients come to you, they know exactly what they need to Absolutely. say. They know exactly what they have to do. And it shortens your, your consultation time. And, and it's just so much better to have clients that can speak to doctors in a way that, you know, you will, you'll both come out of, out of the consultation happy. There's nothing as frustrating as a frustrating patient who doesn't know how to express themselves and a doctor who's just sitting there twiddling their thumbs. Mm. It's, it's horrid. And mm. you need to get value for your money. If you're mm. going to pay for a consultation, that 450 bucks must be worth every cent. Mm. That, that's what I, I'm trying to do. Absolutely. I just, I just think it's so scary how people really want to always hoard a specific terrain without realizing that that, um, custom actually makes you to, to your growth to get stunted as the practitioner mm. itself. There's really nothing as refreshing as coming, having a patient that can actually engage with you because it forces you to go back, research, consult with the specialists. Exactly. You know, we go, we get trained, but we don't really go there with the uh, certificate saying that we know everything, every single thing. And we thing. can't. You could never know you everything. You can't. You absolutely cannot. Every day 
say there's you know, something new to learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I even say to the students, because obviously being a registrar, you know, you teach. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was nice to have a second year student who was really engaging. And, you know, then the, you'd hear the hums and the oohs and the ahs from the other people um, in the class. Like they said, are, they're like, oh, not exactly. Not, yeah. And you're <laughs> like, you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I think we need to come out of the culture of thinking that engaging and really questioning what you're being taught mm-hmm. um, is being disrespectful. It's not. Well, and, that, and that's, no. and I think, I think that's the, the change that has happened in the last 10 years or so where the doctor knew everything and a yeah. doctor spoke down to patients. Absolutely. Those days are done. They patients are so over. Have every right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why I call myself a patient's rights activist. I want mm. to teach people to ask questions. Your mm. doctor has to answer your questions. Mm. There's nothing irritating about you. Your doctor has to answer your questions. If you aren't happy about something, don't leave that consultation room until you are satisfied with all the answers. And it's just part, it's part of just a social evolution. I mean, it's like that in medicine. Remember there was a time where bank accounts couldn't be opened unless you had to go with your husband <laughs> and get a signature. You couldn't get a house and on. So it's just general, uh, you know, transition of life and society. And I think, you know, just like all other components of society have uh, transformed and are moving on. So it's the same with healthcare as and well. It's, uh, I think yeah. it's fantastic. Well, if you've just tuned in, I'm with Dr. Lechokhonole Majaki Mahoba and we're discussing public health and we'll be back after the song to discuss a very close topic, a topic that's very close to my heart, which is obesity and non-communicable diseases. I'm the future of South Africa. On my shoulders, I carry the hopes and dreams of generations to come. I'm eager to learn, but even more eager to use my knowledge for good. I know that it's not where I come from, but where I'm going to that really matters. At Sibanya Gold, we believe our youth is worth its weight in gold, which is why we are so committed to developing, nurturing, and grooming our young people into future leaders. Sibanya Gold, we are one. Hi, Dave from A1 Builders in Pretoria. It's Dan. I found your number on the internet, and I need you to build me a room, the purpose of which I cannot disclose. What? Fine. It's a sunroom. Can you start immediately? It's 4 a.m. I'm sure it's 4 a.m. somewhere, Dave, but here in SA, it's 10. You mean USA? There's more than one Pretoria out there. For the quickest and most efficient way to find what you're looking for, start your search with yellowpages.co.za or download the app. Yellow Pages, for local, reliable results. Clipcentral.com Well, we're back in the half hour. Um, this is my new slot between nine and ten on Mondays. I really love this slot. And my guest this morning is Dr. Lilohonolo Majake Mohoba, and she's also on Twitter at Dr. L Majake Mohoba. And she's a public health registrar. She's in her final year, and um, she'll be finishing. She'll be finishing this year. So, um, non-communicable diseases. Okay. So, as I said, and I've said this many times before, something that's very close to my heart. Um, I grew up in a, an obese family, so my great granny was obese, my granny was obese, my mom was obese, and I was obese. And it was just normal. I mean, I would I would get told, "This is how it is." This is how you are This is how we all are And I now know That it's not normal And I look around me I look around um, Johannesburg And there's quite A number of us Who are overweight Mm -hmm. And this is something That's been growing And I'm happy that the World Health Organization and the United Nations are now sitting up and paying attention that, yes, for the past 20 or 30 years, we've been focused on HIV, but there's something actually much more serious 
and that's the non-communicable diseases. And the first one that comes to mind is obesity, and then of course there's diabetes, and there's um, um, high high blood pressure. But let's speak about obesity. What are the what are the trends? What have you noticed, Little um, Honolulu? Obesity is indeed is, is certainly a problem. Um, in South Africa And also it's increasing amongst children So it's not only a problem for adults But children as well um, It comes from, you know, your demographic transition Changes in lifestyle uh, We have more and more people coming to the urban areas um, Unfortunately, when they don't get when they get here They don't get jobs mm. um, And so, of course, what's cheaper to eat Is always the unhealthy things Fast mm. food is always, uh, you know, much cheaper yeah. um, And another thing is with kids as well We don't really live in communities Where children walk for long Or run or, run or play Outside, mm. you know, it's TV games, uh, it's weeds, it's everything else, and so we're seeing an increase of, um, you know, diabetes and hypertension as a result to um, obesity as well. Yeah, and the concerns that I have, I mean, because I've started eating healthy and I've changed my eating plan. Yes, you're right. So junk food is much cheaper than vegetables. Mm. So I was completely addicted to McDonald's. I think um, I managed to weed myself. Properly off McDonald's at the end of January. I just made a decision that listen, this is it. I'm done. You mm. know, I'm not, not going to eat this stuff anymore. And um, my life has changed dramatically. I mean, I spend more money on vegetables, but when I look at the amount of junk food I was eating and the amount of money I'm saving, I'm actually saving as well because I don't go, I don't go past the drive-through every day mm-hmm. like I used to. I mean, there's some days when you know, truth be told, I would have McDonald's for breakfast, lunch. And supper, mm. you know, because I was just, I was too tired. Everything was around time. So I was a manager. I was very busy. I had lots of things to do. Mm. And the easiest thing to me, easiest thing for me was to go through the drive through, mm. you know, and you don't even realize that you're doing it. Mm. And each day it adds up and adds up and adds up. Mm. You're absolutely right. And I'm, I'm happy you said that you were tired. You know, it's interesting because I mean, you know, final year, you're always stressed, you're always tired. I can also see I've put on my clothes are telling me, you know. Mm. Um, but I think it's also, it's because we also don't see, um, planning meals, um, correctly and buying the right things as part of your, of your normal day to day routine. Mm. And that is something that I guess we need to change And you're absolutely right Especially with different uh, cultures I mean with us we always associate food with happiness mm. And rewards as well I must say I'm also starting to do that mistake with my own child Where if she starts crying The first thing you do is run and go get an Oreo you yeah. know, or, you know, um, if they don't eat their meal, then you tell them, no, you know, uh, finish your food and then you and clap and, and you and tell them how happy you are once they've eaten. Yeah. So it starts from a very, very early age, how we socialize around food and also how we see meals, you know, uh, in terms of our lives day to day. We know we need to wake up, we need to groom ourselves, we need to get to work, but we never really plan the critical components, which is meal. And so what happens is that knee jerk reaction, you just go to the nearest corner and get fish and chips or, or burger, etc. Or amaguinha and I'm bologna, bologna, anything. And things like that. Exactly. You know, and I think it's just something that we need to just basically change, um, you know, through um, health promotion, um, you know, and just making people understand what do we mean when we say, um, you know, portions. It's, it's such an abstract thing. We always say people must eat the portion, portions, portion, control. portion mm. of control, but what exactly is that, you know? Mm. Uh, and I think that's also another thing. So apart from the changes in terms of uh, demographic uh, transition, um, it's just people not really understanding meals, um, you know, what actually gets into your system, what the impact it has, and how much you should be having. Yeah. I think the other thing that I'm concerned about is that, I mean, you, you guys as public health specialists, we need to focus on, on getting people to grow their own vegetables. Yes. Um, we need to go back to those days because... Until that happens, I don't know that many people are going to be able to afford, afford vegetables. I mean, I was in Harare um, the whole of last week, as you know, mm. and I was speaking to someone that works in agriculture, and they're promoting the use of GMO seed, you know, genet- genetically modified um, seeds. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I'm not really keen on that. But mm-hmm. they were saying to me, well, look, if you live in the rural areas and the soil is bad, 
we need GMO seed to ensure a good crop, a bumper harvest and so on. But I mean, GMO seed comes with its own things, like, you know, and as, as I'm not keen on it, but we need solutions, you know. Yeah. So where do we get the solutions to ensure that everyone at least as a piece of land that they yeah. can grow vegetables on and grow their own food and so on. Yeah. It's a multi-sectoral um, component. It needs different people. Agriculture needs to step in, you know, and say that people want to grow their own food. Um, do you know how to, because I don't know, do you know how to actually start a, I'm a trying, cabbage I'm garden? Learning. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Does somebody have to say start your own tomatoes? I promise you, I wouldn't be able to do it, you know. So somebody needs to educate us on how to do that. And you're absolutely right because we keep we keep preaching, you know, vegetable gardens, etc. Et but if somebody had to say, okay, look here, you know, go and do it, you wouldn't be able to do it yourself. So we need to actually have more awareness by agriculture and support. Absolutely, you're right about, you know, manure, etc., etc. Some people don't have money for all those things. So what are the other innovative ways in which we can grow things? I've heard of people using tires to grow certain things. Mm. I don't know how feasible that is, uh, but that's certainly one thing. And then the, another thing is, you know, you'd notice in any clinic, you will have a couple of doctors, a couple of nurses, you know, health promoters, just one dietitian. And perhaps it's also a problem. We might need to start having more dietitians for them to, for, for them to educate us on what to do, you know, and the skills that are required to be able to make sure that we can do uh, sustenance farming. And secondly, when we do actually um, cook, we know what to cook in the right mm. portions. Mm. Yeah. So it's something that we preach, but it, when you look in, in terms of how it's prioritized from a human resource component, it's not um, happening. It's not happening. Yeah. That's true. So I mean, I look at the support as well. I mean, when I when I embarked on my weight loss program, I know that my whole family had to come on board. And I, and all I can think about now is all the diabetic patients that I was always shouting at in terms of weight loss and mm. and the sugars not being controlled. You can't do it alone, you no. know. So it's all well and good for us to say to people, go out there and, and sort yourself out and go out yes. there and lose weight. But what other support systems do we have? We need to get health community health workers in there, visiting people's houses and checking that you know you're sticking to your eating plan. And you know if you've been asked to exercise, you know you, you you're still embarking on that. It's mm. not an easy it's not an easy road. But also, where do you exercise and how do you exercise and how long do you exercise? I mean, if you live in a shack and people say, okay, do aerobics, where are you going to do that? You know. So those are also other things. Uh, that's why I love um, seeing. These um, external gardens that we see in Soweto, yeah, the gyms, parks, the gyms, you know. So these are also other things that we need to factor in. And I must say, I also get embarrassed when I tell somebody to exercise more, and then when we go into what type of house do they live, and you realize it's impossible. You know, mm. where do you expect somebody who lives in a, a two-room house to start skipping? You mm. know, uh, so these are also other things, and I can see that now when they're doing time planning, they seem to be putting that in. It's so important. Um, and it's, it's very so important. important. It's very important to actually have that as well. Yeah. And in terms of, of the food pyramid, I know that, um, I mean, I'm, okay, so I'm on the banting diet. So I'm mm. on the banting eating That's plan, eating plan. Yeah. And a lot of the time when I'm, when I'm helping people to, to start banting, they always speak about the cost of food and so yeah. on. And I mean, I've taken it upon myself to, to, to find out what can be eaten. I mean, I've, I've got the book, I've got all the resources. So, I've taken it upon myself to find out where you can buy the cheapest cuts of meat and so on. So and at mm. least, I, you know, when you tell me where you live, I can give advice, which butchery should you go mm. to and so on. And I think this is something that's also lacking from, from, from our, from our, um, from just the medical staff and, and when we, inf- when we give people advice, like, we need to do so much more. You're absolutely right about that. You know, because you cannot tell people, oh, okay, so, you know, have more lean meat, et cetera, et cetera. First of all, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. You know? And secondly, like you say, if somebody's earning 1,500 and they've got a family of five, how is that supposed to be sustainable? So then we also need to talk about replacement f- feeds, you know. So I've heard people talk about beans. You get dietitians who will then say you can substitute, um, you know, certain proteins, etc., using ABC. Uh, so and you know, it's 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 still something that's still so grey 
not letting people know about it. Uh, and so we also need to explore that as well. And I mean, I think in medical schools, this is an opportunity for you guys as public health specialists mm. to introduce a very strong nutrition, com- uh, nutrition curriculum. I think when we did, when we were in varsity, I mean, nutrition was just, you know, there are these blocks that are just very wishy-washy where yeah. you do them and you know that it's a rest block and you'll just be sleeping in class and so on. And yet those blocks are so important. Like I know HIV for one should be a much bigger block than what it is in, in the curriculum right now. Nutrition is another one. Mm. You know, we need a very strong nutrition block in, in medical school curricula. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think another thing is for people who are listening and are struggling with weight right now, um, and might be asking themselves, so what do I do next? You know, I think the first thing is apart from the fact that we're talking about, you know, um, sustenance, farming, et cetera, et cetera, um, consult. You know, just go to a clinic. You, you know, people will often feel like, oh no, I can't go and t- tell them about my weight problems because mm-hmm. it's aesthetic and nobody really cares and I need to go there if I'm feverish, et cetera, et cetera. The fact of the matter is that your health system and it, um, functioning optimally in a healthy environment is as key as you having tuberculosis or HIV. You know, people don't understand that obesity goes beyond the fact that at a later stage, it can cause diabetes and heart attacks, et cetera, et cetera. It reduces your immune system as well, mm. you know. No, I'm, well, I'm proof of that. I mean, yeah. I mean that's why I've become such, a, such a, um, an obesity advocate because the reason why I decided to embark on this eating plan is that in December, uh, to the 2nd of December, I was lying on the couch and I felt so sick. Yeah. I felt so sick. Mm. I, I thought to myself, you know, then I went and I weighed myself and mm. I was 145 kilograms. Mm. That, that's mm. the heaviest I've ever been in my life. Mm. And my heart, I was, I had, I think I had a heart palpitation at the mm. time because I was watching television. And I thought to myself, I'm going to die. And I looked mm. at my kids. I was like, I'm going to die. And it just yeah. struck me that I was going to die. If I carried mm. on like that, I was going to die, mm. you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, and that's why I think that I'm, I see myself as the perfect person to actually speak to people who are struggling with their way to obese because Something has to give. Some, some you need to reach a, re, a stage where you realize that if you carry on in the way that you're mm-hmm. carrying on, you are going to die. Absolutely. It's as simple as that. It's you know, as there's simple there's as no that. beating about the bush and candy coating this. Mm. Yeah, you might, you know, you'll develop high blood pressure and you'll develop diabetes. No, mm. simple, you know, simple. You're gonna die because mm. my mom developed high blood pressure and diabetes, and mm. she died. Mm. It's gonna be two years on Friday, mm. and she died. My granny mm. also died of complications of diabetes and high blood pressure. So mm. we need to be very harsh with ourselves. I mean, I saw someone in Harare was telling me on Saturday that um, they're so amazed that I can tell people I'm. Fat and I say to the straight face, and I say to him, but I am. Mm. And so that's the secrecy of Yeah, there's no, like, you yeah. can see that I'm fat. Yeah. I know that I'm fat. I've mm. accepted it and I'm doing something about it. And Absolutely. that's why I'm speaking about it. But he was really shocked the fact that I was so open about it. And I think that's, that's, that's what we need. You know, mm. I, 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 I see Michelle Obama's on some obesity thing and I see that, you know, Minister of Health is also very concerned, but we need people to, we need the words just to be like, you are obese. Mm-hmm. It is a problem. Mm. Sort it out. Mm. Absolutely. We just need to be able to be upfront and to the point and so on. So, you know, how would you recommend that, you know, health workers tackle um, obese clients? I mean, I'm not saying be harsh, but just what's, what would you, if you were to teach a bunch of nurses, okay, we're going to have a, an influx of people that are obese, we need assistance, we need guidance. Where would you begin? Yeah. So I think the first thing is when you have to talk about things that have to do with the physique of a person, it's mm. always very difficult, you know, because we often don't want to offend. And the nature of healthcare workers is we just, we shy away. And that's exactly why that person uh, in Harare was so shocked, you mm. know. So we shy away from seeing, being uh, controversial or looking insensitive. 
However, if you actually do, once you start telling people what the complications are of a specific thing, so we've mentioned obesity will cause immune system um, shutdown, will cause diabetes, it will cause and diabetes, heart, and heart okay, problems. And then diabetes might result in you losing your sight. Absolutely. You, you know, you have you erectile dysfunction. Absolutely. You might lose kidney, your limbs, your kidneys yes. fail. Absolutely. You can have a stroke, mm. you know. Uh, that's the thing. And another thing is that, so you're functioning of your family as well. Mm. When you're obese, you feel heavy. When you look in the mirror and you look at the weight, you feel depressed. When you feel depressed, you cannot function opt- optimally. So it's got a ripple effect on your family structure as well. You know, so you need to really lay it out there. This is the problem when you have a problem with your, um, you know, your your weight. These are the factors, and they will then not only impact on you as a person, but your children as well. You and know? you know what else you need to factor in? I mean, because I'm really, I'm, I'm giving you guys tips on what to and what on what to teach your health yeah. workers. You must leave the person that's obese make a list of all the things that they'll be able to do once they've lost the weight. So, for example, I'll give you my list. Whenever I flew, I had to ask for an extender. Right, the seatbelt sure. extender because yeah. no seatbelt would you know would ever yeah. come across my belly. Yeah. And um, when I used to go to restaurants, I always had to check which which chairs do they have because some chairs I just didn't feel comfortable to sit in, and some chairs have got arms. That's really interesting. And you can't and you can't yeah. fit into them. Yeah. So it affects your whole life. So I have a whole list of things that I can now do because of my of my weight loss, which is ongoing. So I can. I, so I flew yesterday. I flew SAA, and guess what? I didn't have to ask for an extender wow. because because of the weight that I've lost, yeah. I could actually. You know, you know that is very interesting. But but that's the thing. So mm. being an obese person, I have insights into the whole thing, and so so you need to make that list. You need to say, what do I want to do once I've lost weight? I mean, I know that when I hit ninety five kilograms, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going bungee jumping because bungee jumping has a weight loss, yeah. uh, has a weight limit. You can't bungee if you're that's more than a hundred kilograms. Yeah. So I know that. Okay, so that's why ninety five. It's an ob number, yeah. but that's my goal because <laughs> I want to go and jump off the towers, yeah. you know. And then I want to run. I've never yeah. run in my life. I yeah. want to be able to put on a pair of, of trainers and just run, yeah. you know. And then go back home and then I've run. So there's so many things that um if you're overweight, you actually can't do. do. I couldn't tie my shoelaces. Wow. I couldn't tie my and I was telling them in Harare that yeah. I can actually bend down and tie my shoelaces. And I noticed that I did it without thinking the other day and Landy was like, Mommy, you can tie your own laces because wow. she used to tie my laces for me because yeah. I couldn't actually bend down and tie sure. my laces. That's so, very interesting. Yeah. Hey? And I think what you're telling us as well is um you cannot look at a person and say they will have ABC problems, you know. Um, obesity, I guess, just like HIV, you cannot look at a person and say that they are HIV positive because I've known you for some time and I just didn't really think that you had any of those challenges. No, 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 I did. Know? No, seriously. And yeah. the immune system issues yeah. as well. I mean, I used to have um, repeated, when I, when I look, when I look now, I realize that my, my, I used to have, um, sometimes I'd get abscesses mm-hmm. and when I look now, it was, it's now that I understand obesity and how it affects your immune system, I can see now that my overweight and my insulin resistance was affecting it. And mm-hmm. infertility, I mean, I took how many years to conceive yeah. Nandi? It was a problem. I mean, I think by by, by the time Nandi came, we were all like, oh, thank yes. God. Because <laughs> I struggled. Fertility yeah. treatment and so on, yeah. again, linked yeah. to my overweight. Yeah. You know, and because uh, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. If I wasn't overweight, I wouldn't have that problem. So mm. I am really at the stage where I'm calling a spade a spade and I want to help as many people as I can. Yeah. But I think another thing is people really need to understand how to calculate whether or not they are Overweight. where they are okay, on the yes. scale itself, okay. you know. So, for example, I always tell people because I'm 1.5, 1.5, 1.6, 1.7, 1.8, 1.9, 1.10, 1.11, 1.12, 1.13, 1.14, 1.15
uh, meters. Yes, you know? you're quite. True. I'm I'm classified as overweight. People will look at me and say that's impossible. Mm. And I say yes. All you need to do is obviously just take your your kgs over your meters squared, and you'll be able to calculate what you are and where you should be. So that's the body mass index. And I think it's very critical that people learn how to calculate that and really understand what it means, mm. you know, and where your range should actually be. Um, you know, of course, some people will say, oh, but that's, that uh, body mass index is not really made for a black woman. You know, but it certainly gives you a guide of where you should be. Yeah. You know, I don't agree for one that BMI is actually a racially linked. I think sometimes we use it as an excuse as to why we cannot be where we're supposed to be. Yeah. But I think once you can calculate and you can see where you are on your scale, then you'll know what needs to happen. Yeah. You know, because you could calculate it. You would know, you know, you mm. could say I am overweight or I am obese, you know. And I think that's one thing that we need to perhaps start having more on social media mm. is to do you think you're overweight or not? Yes or not? You know, mm. um, this is your, what is your height? What is, what are your meters? This means that if your BMI is above 25, you are then classified as, you know, being, um, overweight. Cetera, I mean, with me, because of my BMI, I was classified as morbidly obese and, you know, PPS. So I was rejected mm-hmm. by PPS. Really? Yes. So, I mean, I must be the only doctor in the country that's not on PPS because wow. of that. They said to me I was a high risk and they couldn't accept me onto their, onto their, um, um, what program? Yeah, yeah, whatever PPS does for you guys. Yeah. So yeah, sure. so, so that's really, another interesting thing. Yeah, right? that insurances and everybody asking us also. No, you're a high risk. Yeah. I mean, and even your family history puts yeah. you at a high risk. So as I'm so glad that um, um non-communicable diseases are coming to the fore. In terms of um um type two diabetes, in terms mm-hmm. of treatment, I know that. All our public sector clinics offer very good diabetes care. Yes, you know, they so, absolutely do. So for me, that's always the first port of call. And and in terms of drugs, I don't know that we, we have drug stockouts for diabetes um, drugs. We sadly sometimes do. Oh, okay. Sadly sometimes do. Um, you know, um, but then again, it just goes back to health systems failure. Mm. Uh, although it's not as common as we do with the um, ARVs and uh, the ARVs yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just something that we're reviewing. You know, you've seen with the WHO non-communicable um, you know, goals, the nine goals that they have. Goal number nine, actually, and seven, eight and nine, look at medic- medicines. The fact that medicines have to be there. Basic medication that's on the EDL has to be there. Uh, but there's also been a lot of progress. I think I see now uh, diabetes really being treat- treated more on a specialized level where every single person gets given a, a testing kit for free. Oh, is it? Because those kits are very expensive. They're very expensive. So that is very progressive. Okay. You know? Yeah. Uh, but of course, like I said, sometimes you do find that, especially with the orals, they then, um, you know, are out of stock. Mm, yeah. Okay. And in terms of, um, just your future and, and what you're planning to do after you finish your degree, um, what, 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 what does the future hold for you? I'm going to be very honest, Cindy. You know, um, I would have done a very long four year program, but I want to be a mom. <laughs> So I want something that's very relaxed. Um, for a while. For a while. Really, okay. I think, you know, when you get into this, you don't realize what it does to you and your family structure. Uh, you know, you have to neglect your kids for a long time. You're either away and when you are there, you're busy typing away and busy with research, etc. So I really just want to have a break. Uh, you know, get something very light, whatever it is. Perhaps go back to teaching if it's possible to go back to the I was about to Victoria. say that I think, I think yes. we need, for me, the reason why teaching would be an important thing for me is that we need a lot of, we need, not a lot of, we need more young black female doctors yeah. as lecturers just out there yeah. to, to, to motivate, um, young black females to come into the, into the medical, into the medical field. Yeah. And I mean, that's where I've been now, you know, as a registrar, but I just want to relax just for two years and just mm. be a mother. And the United you know? Nations, World Health Organization, that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff, well, I mean, I'm 33, you know, so I'll, I'll see that perhaps in 10 years time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I don't want to stress myself. Look, it's good to grow from a career perspective, but I think I've laid the seeds. I've laid the foundation. Yeah. You know, I've done my bit from an academic point of view. I will certainly continue to do what I can do from a public health space. Yeah. But I do not want anything that's taxing for now. I, I just, what is important as well as the mental balance. Yeah. You know, it's work life balance. And for now, I really want to make sure that that's 50 50. And I'm glad <laughs> you put that up because I mean, yeah. my plan for being Minister of Health is like a 15 year plan. People don't really understand that, but it's because I know that at the stage I was, I still have so much to learn. I mean, every day that I'm working at the clinic that I'm working in town, I'm learning so much. I'm yeah. learning about the medical aids. I'm learning about how the payments work. It's just a lot of work. Yeah. And I think sometimes we tend to want instant gratification. So mm. even like, but you're going to specialize. Why don't you quickly go then yeah. and start working for WHO, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, I mean, I always, it, it shocks me when I think back to some of our, our previous, um, you know, historical politicians, when you look at the fact that they only started studying law, et cetera, et cetera, when they were 40. Mm. And you think, okay, so what's the rush? And then you think, no wonder people have got stress and anxiety, etc. The pace just becomes a bit too crazy, you know. I think we need to know how to slow down. And, you know, as long as you work hard, success is guaranteed. But there's nothing wrong with it being a gradual pace, really. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And the mm. last and the last topic I want to tackle before before we end the show, um, is the issue of um, xenophobia. So it came up yes. at the meeting I was at in, in Harare, the Doctors Without Borders meeting. And... Um, the one thing, the one message that I really want to get out is how healthcare is universal. Access to healthcare is universal. It doesn't matter where you're from, who you are, whether you have a passport or not, you have the right to access health. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and yeah. so if you could just, if, if you could get that message out and, you know. Healthcare is universal and also, uh, apart from healthcare, as indeed, it's just the basic right. You know, the basic right to dignity and respect of all human uh, beings, you know, as is clearly stipulated in our constitution and our Bill of Rights. Um, you know, and I think that's just something that we really need to, we need to know it, you know, um, like we do the, the, the palm of our hands and we need to abide by it. Uh, and I think another thing is nothing can ever justify, uh, acting violently on anybody. You know, whether it's an intimate partner, whether it's somebody you don't know, anybody, that person has got an equal right to be respected and to be treated with dignity like you do. Uh, the xenophobic thing was the most painful thing. It was painful for me. You know, I've got a lot of links, you know, obviously to Kenya and other places, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, and to see that and the split that it brought, you know, as a South African, to be reading some of the, the, um, you know, the status that you'd see on Facebook about all South Africans are barbaric, et cetera, especially from people who come from everywhere else uh, in Africa. Africa and you think you're so close to them and you're like, but that's such a horrible generalization. You've been with us for so long. You actually consider yourself more of a South African than uh, somebody who lives outside uh, South Africa. Why would you suddenly now want to get onto that bandwagon and brand every single South African as xenophobic? It was traumatic. It was absolutely traumatic whether you were South African or not. It was. It was the worst thing that could have happened for us as Africans. No, it was you traumatic know? for me. I mean, yeah. I'm half Zimbabwean. I'm half South African. Yeah. It was really tough. It was absolutely traumatic and I just hope it never repeats itself. Yeah, I mean, you know? and the story that we're hearing when I was in Harare at the MSF meeting, like people died on the way home. Mm. People died. Mm. Some of the people didn't make it back to Malawi because they died on the buses. So mm. that was really tragic. But yeah. I think the message is that healthcare is for everybody and everyone has access to healthcare. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. If you're not feeling well, you can go to the nearest, to your nearest public sector facility and get seen without any prejudice. Absolutely. Yeah, but thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having um, me, Cindy. <laughs> all the best with your studies. And yeah, I look forward to, to, yeah, to seeing what you have in store for us. I, you had a stint on TV. I think you must go back to TV. <laughs> oh, I'll see how it goes after study. <laughs> thank you. Okay, so thank much. you very much. And thanks to everybody here at Cliff Central. Thanks. Cliffcentral.com.